Thank you, Fred and music team. Good morning. Opportunity to celebrate a couple of things today. One, we have some new members who are going to be joining us later on. Also, uh, Heath Beasley is back with us. Yeah. I also want to give thanks to those of you who helped with our presbytery meeting uh, on Tuesday. Um, a number of the, uh, so for those of you who didn't know, presbytery is where the elders gather for our region, uh, and we hosted it on Tuesday. Uh, and a number of the men who were here uh, expressed how much like home it felt. Uh, and so I was reminded again how grateful I am for you. How grateful I am to serve a church uh, that serves and loves in that way. So thank you to those of you who cooked food and served food uh, and got our, uh, our facility ready. Um, I thank God for you. Uh, we are going to be in Acts chapter 6 this morning. Uh, we have been doing a series on leadership. Uh, and one of the, the things that the reasons that we're doing this is because we're getting ready to nominate new elders and deacons, which we haven't done in a couple of years. And so we've been looking at biblical leadership and what that looks like. Um, by way of that, these are available in the gathering area on the resource table. So when you head back out and grab your book, if you didn't grab one of these last week, you can grab this. It's an officer nomination guide and it explains the whole process for how we nominate and train and elect elders and deacons. And so this has all of that information in it. Uh, you can take it home with you. Uh, we'll start the nomination process next week. So next week when you come uh, in the bulletin, there's a, there will be an insert in the bulletin, a nomination form. And if you're a member in good standing of Grace Fellowship, uh, you can nominate men for elder and deacon. And that guide will be uh, will tell you who to look for and how to do that. So if you have any questions about that, feel free to uh, uh, ask me during Soup Sunday. We can talk about it over lunch. Um, so we've talked about who, the, who these men are, who these leaders are, what leadership looks like. Today we're going to start talking about what they do, uh, what they do. We're talking about who they are. Now we're going to talk about what they do. Now if you compare the Church of the New Testament uh, the church in the Bible with the church in modern-day America, you're going to notice there's, there's a big wide gulf. There's lots of differences, this all being one of those differences. Um, but one of the differences, one of the key differences that you'll notice is that the church of our day has become very professionally dependent. What do I mean by that? I mean that uh, in the New Testament, you'll notice that there are no paid staff. Now, Paul does say some things about uh, elders who labor in preaching and teaching being worthy of compensation from the church. He sometimes received compensation. He sometimes chose not to. Uh, but apart from that, right, what, when we think of the church in 2021 in Alabama, when we, think of, when we hear the word the church, we think of an organization, that is staffed by educated and credentialed people. And that would have been a very foreign idea. These people, they're, they're the ones who are primarily responsible for the ministry and activity of the church. That would have been a very foreign idea in the first century. Um, 
that idea of an organization that is staffed would have been very strange to the first Christians. Instead, what we see in the Bible is that the church is led by two groups of men, uh, groups that we're calling servants and shepherds. Uh, Officially, we call them deacons and elders. Those are the people who led the church in the Bible, and they're the people who lead the church now. Um, And so today, we're going to start by talking about deacons. We're going to spend this Sunday talking about deacons. We'll spend next Sunday talking about elders. And we're going to do that by looking at Acts chapter 6. Now, uh, here's what you're going to notice. The word deacon never comes up in Acts chapter 6. And it's one of the odd things about this role of the deacon. It doesn't come up much in the New Testament at all. In fact, the only places we see it, uh, that word is where the deacons and the elders are mentioned side by side. So Philippians 1.1 would be one place. And then the passage we looked at last week, 1 Timothy 3. So we know they were there. We know they were important to the church because they're mentioned on par, on, on equal footing with the elders. But the Bible never explains what they do. And so what we do have, uh, the best example we do have comes from this passage, these first seven verses of Acts 6. Now, while these men are not called deacons, many scholars agree that this is where the office of deacon officially begins. So that later deacons would get what they did from what these men in this uh, in this these verses these verses do. So, Acts chapter six verses one through seven. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a black Bible there that's in the the chair. In fact, I did notice we're running low. So if you notice that your friend needs a Bible, give them one. Um, page nine hundred and fourteen. If you're using that Bible, is where we are. Acts chapter six verses one through seven. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to talk about how you lead, the the leadership that you have provided for your church, would you help us? We we pray that you would take the eternal truths of your word and that you would write them on our hearts. Uh, And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember talking to a man one time. uh, He had been nominated to serve as a deacon, and we were going through the training process, and 
uh, we were studying this passage, and he said, oh, I see. They needed somebody to do the grunt work, so they didn't have to. That was his perception there of verse 2, when the apostles, the, the 12, say that it's not right for them to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. His interpretation of that was, oh, they just didn't want to get their hands dirty. And maybe that's your interpretation. Maybe that's what you heard as we read through that. Maybe you have in mind when you think about elders and deacons, maybe you kind of have in mind what the, what the military has, right? Officers and enlisted men. You've got the, the officers, and, you know, they don't work all that hard. And then you've got the, the grunts, the enlisted men. They're the ones who really get their hands dirty. But that's not what's going on here. That's not the vision of leadership in the Bible. Now, sometimes that's been true. Sometimes that, that reputation is earned because you do have lazy pastors. You do have elders who act more like a, a board of directors who, who just simply make decisions and tell other people to do the work. And oftentimes the, the, the role of deacon has meant changing light bulbs and cleaning toilets and handing out bulletins. But that's not the vision of leadership uh, from this passage. We don't, we don't get any of those things from this passage or anywhere else in the Bible. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a different vision for the office of a deacon. Now, if you're, if you're coming out of, of, uh, of a Baptist background, you may not be coming from a church that had elders. Okay, And so if you're coming out of a, a, of a Baptist church, not all Baptist churches, but many, uh, you're used to deacons who kind of function like elders. They're the... They're the lay leaders or the board of the church, okay? In the PCA and in many other churches, you have both offices. You have elders and deacons, and we're going to explain all that as we go through, and that packet explains it. Um, but this morning, I want to give you a different vision for what deacons do, right? This, this office is one of honor and dignity. And we say that because in verse 6, the apostles, the leaders of the church, lay their hands on these men and ordain them, which means they set them apart for a special task. And you don't have to be ordained to change light bulbs or clean toilets or hand out bulletins. So that means the deacons are meant to be about something else, right? Deacons are not the JV squad for the elders. That's often how it's portrayed, but it's not true. Deacons don't work for the elders. They work for Jesus, and they assist the elders. So what is it that deacons do? Well, here's the, here's the big idea. Deacons help the church serve those in need. And that all parts of that are important. Deacons help the church serve those in need. Not, not simply deacons serve those in need. They help the church. It's a ministry of the church. It's not simply the ministry of deacons. The deacons just lead the church in doing it. And we're going to talk more about that. So deacons help the church serve those in need. Now, how do we see that in Acts chapter 6? And we're going to, we're going to answer this question. Uh, well, we're going, to, we're going to answer this by answering two questions. What's the problem? What's happening in Acts chapter 6 that gives rise to the deacons? Uh, and, and what is the solution? What's the problem and what's the solution? What is the situation that created the first deacons. Let me, let's, let's get some background, okay? If you don't know, Acts 
The long title is The Acts of the Apostles, and it's a history of the early church. So Jesus dies, he rises again, he ascends to heaven, and he pours out his spirit on his followers so that they will be empowered to take his good news out into the world. That's taking out of the good news. That's the story of Acts. Okay? The church is born, and she moves out. All right? Now, so let's look. Uh, Hold your finger there and turn back with me to Acts chapter 2. There's a couple of descriptions about what church life was like in these early days. Acts 2, verse 42 We get this description. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So you see what church life was like. Weren't a whole lot of extra programs, weren't a whole lot of trunks or treats or anything like that. We had the apostles' teaching, so you had the word, you had the fellowship, the gathering together, you had praying, and you had the breaking of bread, likely a reference to the Lord's Supper. This this is the toolbox of the church. It's limited toolbox, okay? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, so... As these people, there's about 3,000 of them at this point. Uh, As these people hear the gospel and are taught the word, uh, it moves them to be generous with each other. So those who have a lot sell their stuff and give to those who have a little so that there's not any need in the church, right? So that nobody's poverty or want gets in the way of their experience of the joy in Christ, right? So that, that's the picture we have of the, the first church in Jerusalem. Now, uh, flip over to Acts 4. We get another description. Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So there's that word ministry. And then verse 34, there wasn't a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So far from the apostles not wanting to get their hands dirty, they were actually engaged in this ministry already. They were the ones responsible for distributing the gifts that were brought to them. But again, you see this picture of unity and joy and generosity and sharing, okay? Now, when we get to Acts 6, then we have a problem. Something comes up, right? The church is continuing to grow, and now we see some important people are being left out. Uh, some widows, so we could, we could characterize this problem three ways. First, it's an economic problem. Um, if you were a widow in the first century, there was no Medicare, there was no uh, 401k, there were no 
veterans, benefits, nothing like that. Your support network was your family and the synagogue or religious community, okay? And if these widows had come to believe in Jesus, they were likely kicked out of the synagogue because the Jewish authorities were not keen on Jesus. And so that left them without their support network. So the church becomes that support network. But now we have some widows who are being left out in the food distribution. So far from being optional, this is something that was necessary for their survival. But it's also not just an economic problem, but it's an ethnic problem. We're told that it's the the Greek-speaking widows who are being overlooked. So if I can use the word clicked, we can, ha- we can have two clicks here. You have the Greek-speaking and the Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking, okay? And the, the Greek-speaking or the Hellenists were Jews who had grown up outside of Palestine in the Greco-Roman world. They spoke Greek, and many of their customs were probably Greek. Now, Jew- they were Jewish, but their way of life probably looked different, and they'd moved to Jerusalem, maybe to be close to the Holy Land, the land of their ancestors. So you have that group. And then you have the, the Hebrews. They're the Aramaic speaking. They lived their entire life in Palestine and around Jerusalem. They spoke Aramaic, and their cultures were very Jewish. So there's an ethnic tension here, right? These, this group might have viewed themselves as more Jewish than this group. Isn't that so silly? We don't ever do anything like that, right? So you have this tension. Um, the perception... And the complaint is that the Greek-speaking widows are being overlooked. They're not being treated the same. So you can imagine how much tension there is around this issue. It's not just about an economic need. There's also an ethnic dividing line. But then there's a, there's a third way to look at this problem, and it's uh, administrative. The apostles, the leaders of the church can no longer get the job done. The need has grown too great, and the church had grown to the point that they had to choose what kind of ministry they were going to focus on, where they were going to give their attention. Right? So you have emotions that are all wrapped up in this. You've got loyalty and sensitivity and dignity and justice. Emotions are running high. This is a, this is a powder keg threatening to explode the early church. And derail the mission of Jesus. And so the the apostles, the twelve, they have to decide, what are we going to do? Where are we going to focus our time? And it's interesting because the word ministry or the word service, the root word is where we get our word deacon from. And it comes up in two places. There's two ministries mentioned here. If you look at verse 2, the twelve, they summon all of the disciples together. So by this time, several thousand strong. And they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to literally deacon tables. So there's a, there's a physical ministry to serve tables, this, this service ministry. And then later on in verse 4, it says, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry. That word ministry is the word deacon. The deacon of the word, right? So, so what I'm trying to say is there are two kinds of service in the, in the church. 
There's word service and there's deed service. Word and deed. And the church has to have both. And it's gotten to the point where the apostles have to choose. They have to choose where to focus their attention. Right? But both are necessary. Verse 4, word and prayer cannot be left behind. Word and prayer, that's what makes the church the church. Without God's word, the church ceases to be the church. So now you understand why the the 12, they can't, they say, it's not right for us to leave off preaching the word. We can't leave that behind because that's our identity. The gospel is what makes us us. If we remove the gospel, if we remove the word, well, we're just another social organization who enjoys getting together and doing some good things. Right? We can't we can't leave off the word. But physical needs matter to God also. And if you and if you question this, just look at the ministry of Jesus. Jesus's ministry was all about word and deed. He proclaimed the kingdom, he proclaimed the good news, and then he demonstrated the good news through signs and miracles and healing, right? Word and deed went together in the life of Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46, Jesus even says that our eternal destiny, whether we are going to heaven or hell, hinges on if we've met physical needs or not. Right? You may remember those verses. When you've done it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. If you've clothed, if you visited someone in prison, Jesus says that's what it looks like. Uh, that's deed ministry. It's a pretty big deal. Poverty, illness, death, those are all a result of the fall. And so where we can help those things, we should. And so word and deed go together in the life of the church. Both are necessary. And so the question is, how do we do both? And I should point out that they're necessary, not just for the leaders of the church, but for every individual Christian, right? But how do we meet those needs? That's the problem that the early church was facing. We've got to meet the needs, but we can't leave off the word. So what do we do? Well, so the apostles call a huge congregational meeting. And they tell the congregation, you pick seven men. You pick seven men, and here's how they describe them. They have a good reputation. Right? We talked about reputation last week in 1 Timothy 3. But they have a good reputation. They're known by the people, and they have a good reputation with the people. And it says this, they're full of the Spirit and wisdom. Those go together. They're full of the Spirit. means they are controlled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. So these are not spiritual rookies. And because of that, they're full of wisdom. Now, part of that, we think about the series in Proverbs that we just finished. Wisdom is the skill of living well, right? When we fear the Lord, we will get wisdom. These men fear the Lord, and they understand how life works. They have wisdom. And when you think about it, right, you want wisdom when you have to step into that economic, ethnic, administrative mess, don't you? We ain't just bringing loaves of bread, 
We're bringing loaves of bread to widows who feel neglected and left out. So we're bringing loaves of bread, but we're also bringing words of comfort and encouragement to say, hey, the church has not forgotten you. We haven't forgotten you. Right? That requires wisdom. It requires administrative skill. You know, there are eight, probably 8,000 people who are part of the first church of Jerusalem. You think seven men took all that food by hand to all those widows? No. Right? They, they delegated, they administrated that task out. But they have some administrative wisdom and skill, so they're full of the spirit and wisdom. These are, these are not junior flunkies. Right? They're respected men. They have some spiritual maturity. They can work to meet complex needs with patience and diligence and skill and sensitivity. All right? So that's who the apostles say to pick out. And so what we see is that the work of the deacon is primarily a work of mercy. If the elder's ministry is one of word, one of shepherding with the word, the deacon is a work of mercy. Right? The deacon comes alongside the, the ministry of the word, right? the mouth of Jesus, and helps with the ministry of deed, the hands of Jesus. Right? So if the elders represent uh, Jesus as prophet, deacons represent Jesus as priest, meeting physical, tangible needs, mouth and hands. Deacons and elders work together in caring for God's people. What does this look like? Well, first, it's a physical ministry. The deacon makes sure that the needs of the body are met. And this is probably one of the reasons it's not described anywhere, because this is really broad. Right? There, There are lots of things that can bring about need. Lots of things can cause you to experience a lack of joy, illness, death, poverty, unemployment. Right? It's the deacons who come in during those crises and figure out how best to meet the need of the moment. Who do we usually say is responsible for that in the 21st century church? Usually it's the pastor, right? Have you noticed how we've become professionally dependent? We have taken all of the ministry given to groups of men in the New Testament, and we have funneled it down to one person and said, go get her done. Does that seem like a good idea, right? Nobody, it does, yeah, maybe it doesn't look a good idea, right? But nobody is omnicompetent. Nobody is capable of doing all of those things, right? So the deacons are the ones who help here. Now, I said this earlier, that doesn't take that ministry away from the church. It's the calling and responsibility of every Christian to love their neighbor. Not just in word. We, we read this earlier, right, in, in John. John told us this. We love not just in word, but in deed. That's not just leadership. That's the church. And so the deacons help the church. They facilitate the church's ministry of deed. It's the church's ministry. The, te- the deacon just helps the church do it better. But it's not just a physical ministry. That's also a spiritual ministry. Again, we don't, let's not divorce spiritual and physical. Like, okay, God only cares about the spiritual things. The physical things don't matter. No, God created the physical, and he created it good. And we are body and soul together. And the gospel speaks to body and soul together, right? We don't, 
Like when you, when you pass away, if you're in the Lord, if you, if you know Jesus, you won't be a disembodied spirit with a harp and some wings floating around, a, floating around in the clouds, right? The new heavens and the new earth is a tangible, real place where you will have a real body and do real physical things, right? So the gospel addresses physical and spiritual needs, okay? And so uh, we don't want to split those apart. So when one of these seven men brought food to a hungry widow, do you think he prayed with her? Do you think he shared some encouragement with her from the scriptures? Yeah. It's a spiritual work, not just a physical work. It's a spiritual ministry. Listen to this description uh, from William Hendrickson describing the deacons. He says, their special task is to gather the offerings which God's people in gratitude make to their Lord to distribute these gifts in the proper spirit to all who are in need to prevent poverty wherever it is possible to do this and by means of their prayers and words of scripture-based comfort to encourage the distressed. Does that sound like deacons the way we normally think about them? That's the vision of the deacon in the New Testament. So, maybe a good question would be, okay, well, could I be a deacon? What, is it, what does it take to be a deacon? Well, do you, ha- do you see needs? Do you see needs and move towards them? Do you like to help people? Are you the person uh, who, who stops when there's someone on the side of the road? That's the heart of a deacon. That's the heart, to, that's, that's the heart of compassion that seeks to alleviate a need. We may want to add wisdom to that one, uh, but there's, there's the heart to meet needs. Is that you? When you see a need, do you move to meet it? That would be something to consider in the role of the deacon. So what were the results? We'll close with this. So the apostles, they gather the church. They say, you pick seven men. The church puts these seven men forward, and the apostles ordain them, right? They set them apart for their special task by laying their hands on them, and they pray. And here's what it says in verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. Okay, so had some problems. We saw how the church answered them. And what was the result of adding deed ministry? Not, not just numbers increased. But what does it say? The word of God increased. Word ministry grew as a result of deed ministry being done better. See how they go together? The gospel was proclaimed more in word because it had been proclaimed well in deed. Right? The word of God increased when physical needs were met in a wise and loving way. More people believed the good news of Jesus as a result of this ministry. And I pray that God would do the same thing in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would grow grow our hearts of compassion, grow our deed ministry. Lord, would you raise up men who have this heart? Would you give our current deacons this heart? 
And would you help us to be a church that loves not only uh, in word, but also in deed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I mentioned,